Hello everyone, this is your host Julia Warden, and today we have an exciting new episode of Beyond Study Abroad, the official Notre Dame International podcast. Today we are speaking with Mary Grace Walsh, who studied abroad in Rome last year. Mary Grace, why don't you give us your ND introduction? Hi, I'm Mary Grace. I'm a junior. Uh, I live in Flaherty Hall and I'm from Richmond, Virginia. I study sociology and theology with a minor in health humanities and society. And last semester in the spring, I went to Rome. Wow, that's so cool. Okay, could you tell us more about what your experience in Rome was like and why you chose Rome? Yeah, so I was actually part of a pilot program um, called the Rome's the Study Abroad Rome Fellows. I actually don't know its official name because we were the pilot program. <laughs> there were six of us who were undergraduate women. It's not an all-women program. It just happened to be six women. Uh, four of us are sophomores and the other two were juniors. We were doing research with Dr. Christian Smith, who's a professor of sociology. We were abroad in Rome after doing research over the summer and taking a class in the spring or in the fall. We were in Rome because our research directly had to do with the Catholic Church um, and because we wanted to present research to the Vatican. So this program is, I think it's called the Pizzo Family Rome Program. We presented our research at a symposium that we hosted and designed uh, to international sociologists, to people from the Vatican. And yeah, it was really fantastic. It was a super cool experience. My study abroad group was really close. Uh, We lived in the villa and took classes at Don Cabot, Mm -hmm. just like other Rome program students. But we also took two classes specifically with Professor Smith and were working on research at the same time. Okay, wow, that that is such a great experience. So can you tell me more about what your research was about? And you said that you presented to people at the Vatican and international scholars. Could you tell us more about that? That's super interesting. Yeah, so our research is on religious disaffiliation and cultural change. We've noticed the trend of a lot of people leaving traditional religion, leaving churches as we understand them. Mm -hmm. And we were really curious about why, not from a secularization lens, so not from a lens of like, studying religion itself, but Mm. from the lens of something is changing in our culture. Several things are changing in our culture that are causing, that's causing so many people to disaffiliate from religion. Um, And we didn't really know why. And so we set out to do this research. We did over 200 two hour long interviews with people from across the U.S. Wow. At various stages of religious disaffiliation or religious affiliation. And we asked them all sorts of questions about their lives, about how they grew up, what their house was like, their religious beliefs, uh, their more philosophical and spiritual beliefs, uh, about politics and community and settling down and all of these really cool things. So what we did as research assistants was we did some of the interviews, we coded the data and edited transcripts. Mm -hmm. uh, And we also, what was really unique about this program was that we get to be involved with the the project from the very beginning to the very end. So a lot of research assistants are only involved once a project is taken off and then don't really get to see the results. But we are involved in every part of it. Uh, And that included presenting our research at a symposium that we hosted at the Rome Global Gateway. It was really fantastic. And then as well, there were some officials from the Vatican there. Wow. Because our research does directly impact the Vatican. Okay. Yeah. So 
Tell me more about how you're interacting with the officials in the Vatican. That's super interesting to me. Uh, I have been to the Vatican once when I was in Rome. Actually, my grandparents were married there, a little fun fact. So uh, we went to that chapel and it was really nice. So I feel a little bit of a connection to what you're talking about. And it's really interesting and I want to hear more. And I think all of our listeners would love to hear more too. Yeah, to be honest with you, I didn't do a lot of interacting with the actual Vatican officials. Well, it's still cool. Um, Yeah, the people from the Vatican were mostly there to listen. Um, Mm -hmm. And also, so was I. This -hmm. was my first experience doing research at Notre Dame, um, my first experience doing research at this level at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And I actually really had no idea what to expect. I, my, our team really served as like the liaisons between the Rome Global Gateway and the people who were there. So I did a lot of taking of coats and handing out name tags. But also, we got to have some really, really cool conversations Um, people presented their research and we also presented our research and we had a lot of really cool conversations. You could see the wheels turning in people's Mm. heads. Um, there was one woman in particular, I can't remember her name, but she's a religious sister and is in charge of like the congregation of religious women in the Vatican. Like, wow, this whole governing body of religious sisters. And it was really fascinating to see her engaging with this group of people in a very academic way, but also in a very, like you could tell she was really listening and really cared about what we were saying. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was really cool to be part of research that directly went to the organizations that we're doing research on. So this isn't research about the Vatican, but a lot of the people we interviewed are Catholic or were Catholic and we had really significant data on what made them leave the church. And so that's really, it's really big to be able to share that with the people who can actually make change in the church um, at, at a very institutional level. So that wow. was really cool. Yeah, I could only imagine that's been such a meaningful experience and something that you would only get from a school like Notre Dame and the really great support we have here. So that's that's really interesting to hear about. Mm-hmm. So I would love to shift kind of into our focus for today um, on accommodations and people who might need them for a variety of reasons. I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about the identity sessions uh, that we hosted in collaboration with the student government and the study abroad team and why you think these are important. Why should uh, Notre Dame continue to invest time and effort into this? Yeah. So I'm the director of disability advocacy for Notre Dame student government. Uh, it's a huge privilege to serve in this role. I'm really excited about it. Uh, And one of the first things that we worked on was a collaboration with Notre Dame International uh, with my department, but also all of the DEI departments. I'm pretty sure all of them on identity and studying abroad. So identity obviously is a huge part of our Notre Dame experience. It's a huge part of how we navigate the world and how we experience the world and also how the world experiences us. So When it comes to studying abroad, it's super important to consider how our various identities intersect, both in the U.S. and how we are presenting ourselves to other countries, how other countries are perceiving us, and, you know, the various different ways that we may be treated because of that. Mm -hmm. So while my department's study abroad identity session mostly focused on accommodations, working with the university, uh, it also focused on you know, how do other countries think about disability? Mm -hmm. And there are not a lot of disabled students at Notre Dame who study abroad because it's so difficult. Mm -hmm. But the ones, so the ones that we had 
had studied abroad in, I believe, Brazil, London, and Dublin, mm-hmm. or maybe Galway in Ireland. And so they were able to provide a really interesting perspective, but certainly not all of the perspectives. Um, so it was a really fantastic panel, Department for Race and Ethnicity, the Department for LGBTQ and Gender Relations, and then the Department of First Gen Low Income Students also had identity panels. I might be missing one. They were really fantastic. And we were able to get students from these identity groups who have studied abroad to talk about their own experiences, which really is so important to center the voices of people who have actually had those lived experiences. So it was fantastic. It was a really great collaboration. And we're working on some other things for the future, which I'm really excited about. Okay. Okay. No, that's, that's really great. Thank you for sharing and congrats on the role. That's so exciting being the leader and the director of the team. And I won't ask you what your future plans are, because it sounds like it's a little bit of a surprise, but you know, let's (laughs) not really a surprise, just not totally figured out yet. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. It's still a surprise, I guess, for somebody, at least listeners stay, stay tuned for, I guess, what's going to happen with these groups. So something exciting yeah. will be coming. So Mary Grace, I'd really love to hear more about what excites you about your role as the director of disability advocacy and where you see yourself taking the program from here. Yeah. So this is actually the second year that this department's existed. So previously diversity and inclusion is so important. Um, especially when it comes to like various identities and how we experience those identities at Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. So I, it's a huge privilege for me to be director of disability advocacy. Um, One of my dear friends, Jill Maudlin was the director last year and did so many good things with the department. I am very keenly aware though, that I am not physically disabled. And so it's really important to me that my department centers disabled voices on campus and that we're listening to disabled students and what they need. So That's something that I'm working a lot on. It's hard. It's not something that's easy to do. And so I'm really privileged to be able to work with a really great group of students in my department, some who are disabled, some who are allies, um, some who are like kind of coming into that identity as disabled or like learning about themselves and that like disability is not a bad word. Um, And so that's one of the things I'm most excited about is just working with this fantastic group of people these students who are really dedicated to making positive change. And I'm really excited to see what happens next, Um, both in terms of like, you know, we started with certain initiatives that we wanted to get into and those have developed a lot and changed a lot. Uh, And so I'm working on some, some really exciting things and I'm excited to see like what change we can make in the universe at the university to make it a better, a better place for disabled students. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with everything you're saying, and it's really admirable the stance you have on all of this. It sounds like you have a really mature outlook on it, on realizing that, you know, without a physical disability, that's a privilege we have. And I think sometimes we all take it for granted a little bit. I thought it was also interesting that you pointed out that, you know, not all disabilities are physical, of course. And of course, the recognition that there are many mental disabilities and um, other things that we are not aware of. Could you tell us more about some of the accommodations or some of the changes you'd be looking to make in your role? Yeah. So as director of disability advocacy, it's really important to me that we we don't think about disability as a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, disabilities are neutral states of being. There are a lot of different models of disability, a lot of different ways that people consider and conceptualize disability, but it's not a bad thing to have a disability. There's nothing shameful about it. There's nothing bad about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so 
one of my goals is to make non-disabled students aware of that and to really push the needle on. So in my role as director of disability advocacy, I've learned a lot. Um, I learned a lot before becoming director that really made me so passionate about disability advocacy. And one of those things is that for my whole life, I've been presented with the medical model of disability. So the medical model of disability is this thing that says there is one right way of being. There's one right way to have a mind and to have a body. And that is the neurotypical able-bodied body and mind. Mm -hmm. And if there's something wrong with you, if you have an impairment, if you have something that's different about your body or your mind, that is a disability. That's an impairment in that it's something that's wrong with your body or different about your body. And it's a disability in that that thing that is different about you gives you a disadvantage. Um, and it's very self-focused and very body-focused. Mm -hmm. So the onus is on the person with the disability to change and to accommodate for themselves and, you know, to like make their own change. A newer model and one that's more inclusive and more accessible is the social model of disability, which says that impairment and disability are two different things. So someone might have something that's different about their body or mind. You know, they might um, have depression. They might be unable to walk. They might have chronic pain. They might have, you know, allergies. They might have all sorts of things, autism, ADHD, all sorts of things that be can be considered impairments because they are differences in the way one's body or mind functions. Mm -hmm. But what disables someone is not their impairment. It's the the barriers they face in society mm -hmm. because society is not structured both physically and culturally to accept their bodies or to make a world where their bodies can just as easily access mm -hmm. anything as anyone else's can. This is a huge distinction, right? It changes the burden, it puts the burden of change not on the individual with an impairment, not on a disabled person, but on society to really change the way that we think about bodies, to change the way that we structure our societies, to make accommodation something that is easier to access, all of these things. And it's important to note, like, the social model didn't come from non-disabled people. It came from disabled people themselves saying, hey, like, this way that we were taught about our bodies is just wrong. Mm -hmm. It's not it's not on me as a wheelchair user to figure out a way to get up the steps. It's on you as an institution or as a business, as whatever, to make sure that there's a way for me as a wheelchair user to access your building. And so one of my main goals as director of disability advocacy is to really teach more and learn more about the social model. Mm -hmm. Um, and to do this from people with those lived experiences. So, like I said, I'm not physically disabled. Um, I have diagnosed anxiety and depression. And so that's something that some people consider a mental disability. Uh, it's something I'm sort of coming to terms with myself in this role, which is really interesting. It's been a fascinating journey. Um, and so I can only say so much, both about my own experience, like I can only provide so much input on anxiety and depression because I'm just one person who's experienced it. Mm -hmm. And I also can't provide any input on what it's like to navigate campus as a wheelchair user, right? Mm -hmm. So that's something that's really important to me and that I'm working really hard on is 
making sure that we are telling everyone's stories and that everyone's voices are being heard. Um, and disability is something that's often left out of conversations about diversity. And so my goal, it's the second year of this department. And so I say like, let's go in guns a blazing and let's make some change. Let's center these stories. Let's listen to these voices. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all that. That's so insightful. And listeners, I hope you were uh, tuning in because that was helped to open my mind about, you know, what a disability is in the, in the sense that it's not necessarily so rigid on what it means. It's really anything that could impair you, which I mean, and many people deal with in some way or another. I'm privileged that I don't have any physical disabilities. I do deal with food allergies, which mm -hmm. uh, can be difficult, you know, when I'm abroad and, you know, I can't speak the same language as someone. So even something small like that could be really difficult for somebody who's, you know, very, very allergic to something. It's really, really lovely and a beautiful thing to learn from disabled people about their experiences. And could you tell us more about some of the highlights from the, what was interesting, what, what you would like to share with uh, the listeners at home? Yeah. So when I went abroad, I didn't have any formal accommodations in place. I didn't have any accommodations through Sarah Bay. And so I wasn't sure what they were going to say about the accommodations process abroad and like what that looked like for them. Um, and if their accommodations were able to be met. And I was really pleasantly surprised. Um, Obviously, no study abroad location is perfect, just like there's no place here that's perfect. But for many people, uh, for several of them, their needs were able to be met either in the way that they desired or in a creative way. Um, so that was really great to hear. There were a few challenges that they faced, obviously, um, but all of them, and this was a bit ago, so I hope I'm not like misquoting anyone, but I'm pretty sure all of them said that like it was more good than bad and that they were really grateful that they were able to study abroad, especially like we have a really great team at Notre Dame uh, that's working really hard to make sure that students have access to these things. And so I think it was good for students to hear that it's not an immediate no to study abroad. Mm -hmm. Each student is different. Each disabled student is different, just like every Notre Dame student is different. Um, and there might be more to consider if you have accommodations uh, or live with, a live with a disability, but that doesn't mean that it's harder, um, which was really interesting and good to hear from them. Thank you for sharing. And let's say that there's some students on the call who are thinking about studying abroad, thinking about applying. They're looking at potential locations, you know, dreaming of where they're going to go maybe a year, maybe two years from now. Mm -hmm. What are some of the biggest tips that you could give to these listeners? What considerations would you make? Are there any particular programs you would recommend? Anything you would try to stay away from? I will. I know I was being a little secretive earlier about what we're planning to do in the future, but one of the things I'm hoping that hoping comes into fruition during my term as director is having more accessibility information about study abroad locations available on the website. So there are lots of different accessibility concerns, right? Like I ended up needing to see a psychiatrist while I was in Rome. And because I was in Rome, a Western country, like one where it's pretty common for, you know, university employees to speak English, a, a pretty wealthy country, all things considered. I was able to see a psychiatrist who spoke English, who I was able to converse with really easily. I was able to get changed medication, which was great. Um, and that was even with me having already considered like, oh, I'm going to need a three-month supply or a four-month supply of this medication. Mm -hmm. So that was something that I needed to consider. 
But I didn't need to consider that Rome has cobblestone everywhere. And so if you're someone who lives with chronic pain and vibration is hard, cobblestone's not the thing for you. I didn't need to consider any like food allergy concerns. Like it's a, a big shared kitchen in the villa in Rome. And so I didn't need to consider that at all. Um, it was not an obstacle for me. These are the kinds of things that need to be considered when you're looking at a study abroad location or when you're just like sort of dreaming of your experience. I was talking with uh, some of the study abroad folks and one of them was saying that the Santiago program has a lot of hiking. Like they go a lot on a lot of outdoor excursions. Uh, I think the same for some of the Ireland programs. They do a lot of like required travel outside of the location. That's not something that I would be interested in not for any like disability related reason, just because of who I am as a person. I'm not, I'm, I don't like to hike. Yeah, um, no, I don't like to hike either. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. And so that's something that I would really, really recommend is thinking about all of these aspects of study abroad. Um, I found it really helpful to just talk to some of the program directors. You know, I didn't actually have a choice in Rome. I was like asked if I wanted to go to this particular location and said yes almost immediately to be honest with you I probably didn't do enough research how did that how did that come to fruition it was part of the part of the program that I was asked to be a part of okay Um, and so just to just to reiterate to our listeners what program was this this is the pizza family Rome scholars program uh I think right now it's like invitation only okay Um, that makes it sound way fancier than it actually is. Hey, well, but, um, you know, you got invited. That's that's something to be excited about. Something. To yeah, get yeah. I maybe didn't do enough research. I maybe didn't didn't ask enough people before. And you know, I was really lucky that it worked out, mostly because I don't have that many additional needs. And also, I was lucky that like when I was already in Rome, the staff there was so so helpful and accommodating, and I was able to switch rooms and all of these things. Mm-hmm. The last thing that I want for any people who study abroad is for something to go really wrong and for it to not be able to be fixed, right? And so it's important to consider these things when you're you're looking for a study abroad location. So if you're a wheelchair user, don't go to Rome. It's not going to be fun for you. The cobblestone is just, it's so intense and it's not going to be easy for you to navigate. London, though, might be easier to navigate. Like the tube is really accessible. Um, and so that public transit would be easier. Um If you're someone who has food allergies or insensitivities or anything like that, if you're going to be cooking your own food, ask about whether they have like individual kitchens or individual cookware, academic accommodations, like investigate, like ask the people in Sarah Bay, have any people with academic accommodations gone to these locations before? Ask them who's been easy to work with and who's been difficult to work with. They only allow like 10% additional time in Ireland. And so, Mm -hmm. so all of that to say... You really got to think about your own needs and what is going to be best for you. Study abroad is an intense experience, um, regardless of like what you think or what you want it to be. It's going to be, it's going to be hard at some points. Mm -hmm. And so do yourself the service of giving yourself the best possible playing ground, you know, take care of yourself and make sure that your needs are met so that you you can really like dive into study abroad. Mm -hmm. My second advice is to have a lot of fun and to realize that it's a huge gift and a huge privilege to study abroad and so exciting. My study abroad experience was so hard. It was one of the hardest semesters I've had in college. And I still look back on it and I'm like, wow, that is really, really cool that I got to do that. So and I'm assuming that you probably grew lost from it and you faced difficulties, but you know, it. I'm sure it was an experience that really challenged you and pushed you to learn in many ways. Yeah, I grew and changed a lot while studying abroad. 
Um, and I'm just going to jump back to what you were saying before about, so I have food allergies and I studied abroad in Sydney. We had apartments. There were two people in each apartment. My roommate and I shared a kitchen, but we had our complete own sets of cookware and everything. So that was never an issue for me. And I know a lot of other programs that are not uh, directly run by Notre Dame have similar types of accommodation, but you just have to check with each program, especially if you're looking at a program that has a homestay. That's something that you're going to need to particularly look into. It's interesting that you mentioned the accommodations for test taking, because I know of other people who had been to countries where there were more forms needed. So I know of somebody who had to travel to a certain type of medical professional to get some forms filled out. And I think it really just depends on the location. And even if it's something, or even if it's something like test taking, that's a major consideration. And I would definitely encourage anybody listening who deals with something like this to uh, look into it before, just as Mary Grace said. And I so, would also go ahead. I would also say, if at all possible, ask people who have similar experiences to you, even if that's not like similar disabilities, people who have like similar personalities to you or similar like leanings to you as a person. Like my experience of needing to see a psychiatrist in Rome, I can tell you all about mental health support in Rome. I can tell you all about it. What I cannot tell you is like this food allergy thing. We keep coming back to food allergies. Like Mm. it's a shared kitchen in the villa. I, I don't know how many different people's plates I used. Like my plate was constantly getting used by someone else and then washed and put back in my cubby. And I'm not hundred percent sure that it was like the same plate every single time. It doesn't matter to me, but it might matter to someone else. And so things like that, like aren't, they don't necessarily like prohibit you from studying abroad in those locations. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they're just additional considerations to have. Ask the program directors. They may be able to connect you with someone or ask the Sarah Bay staff because you never know. Like if you're getting secondhand or thirdhand information, you got to take that with a grain of salt. Of course. I think that's all that I had on the agenda for today, unless there's anything else you'd like to add. Yeah, I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. I'm really excited uh, for future guests who are physically disabled. Make sure that you listen to their stories too, or that you listen to students who have those experiences uh, because they always have better information. They have more accurate and they, they know more about their own experiences than I do. I really appreciate you being graceful with me, giving me some grace. And I'm really, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you so much, Julia. Oh, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm sure the listeners are going to be excited to hear your episode. And we're just really grateful that you spent the time to speak with me. And I think this is going to be an episode that people will listen to for years to come. From everyone at Indy International, thank you so much, Mary Grace.